If the writing wasn't all on the wall, it was certainly on a newspaper page. <laughs> it was perhaps destiny that I would take an early interest in journalism, in the media. But I said, no, that's not for me, because I thought that would mean I would have no time at all with my family, which was important to me. Mm. Um, and so I got a nice letter back from the editor of the Sunday Express saying, I can't believe you turned down a job. You'll never work in Fleet Street again. I had two dreams, I think. Um, one was to get to Fleet Street, and the other was to work for myself. I don't want to guarantee you, I don't want to scare you, but from what I'm seeing, I'm, go and get it checked out, because I think what you've got is MS. Um, so that was, um, that was tough. Yeah, I've got MS. It's, it's part of who I am now. Um, it is my journey through life. Um, it's not going to get any better. You know, we know that MS is a debilitating disease. The reality is that probably for a couple of years I, I was in a dark place. Mm. Um, I didn't want to talk about it. I met um, Linda Bloom, um, uh, Linda and Tony Bloom. Mm. Uh, Linda Bloom um, had MS, has MS, um, and she um, has uh, been fighting it really successfully. She set up a charity called Overcoming Multiple Sclerosis, OMS, um, thanks to the work of a, a really inspiring um, consultant in Australia who has MS. Mm. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that, whoa, you know, there are so many things I can do to keep this at bay, um, keep it in check, and, but I've got to have the right attitude. MS is a very personal thing. It attacks people in a different way. Mm, sure. So for me at the moment, um, you know, the battle continues. Um, the battle is being waged and, um, you know, I continue to have the upper hand. And when that's not the case, well, hey, so be it. You know, the real things that become important are for me, and I'm sure the same for you, Sam, is, is family. You know, having um, sons who, for me, sons who are healthy, um, who have got good relationships, who are happy in life. Mm. Um, that's so much more important than how much you want your bank account. I believe everyone has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions. Okay. Welcome to the next episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by the owner of Cobb PR, and someone that has been an influential and inspirational figure within the Sussex business community for nearly three decades. I was fortunate enough to meet um, him at the start of my business journey in Sussex, when he came in for a traditional wet shave, if, if you remember, <laughs> at the salon, some 11 years ago, to help me launch a shave academy. I was grateful for his support then, as much as I am today, and delighted to welcome Tim Cobb to the podcast. Tim, how are you doing? Thank you very much indeed. Doing very well, thank you. Excellent. Mate, look, great. Uh, last thing, we've obviously known each other for, yeah, well, start, start of my business journey down here yeah. in Sussex. It's been obviously great getting to know you and grateful, obviously, for your support over the years with, with different ventures that I've sort of got involved with. So, um, listen, an honour to have you on today and, and share your journey with the uh, with our listeners. So, look, we're going we're gonna to jump straight in. Um, of course. Just start your story. T tell me about 
sort of what life was growing up for you and tell me something about your early years that sort of shaped you yeah. who you are today yeah of course so um growing up um single parent family raised by my mother and my grandparents uh my mother uh was working on the local newspaper my dad was a printer on the local newspaper um the school was kind of okay i didn't really excel my sister i have one sister she's older than me she did very well um um bit of a bookworm um she loved her studies and education me less so couldn't really wait to escape (laughs) um born in brighton but but moved over to eastbourne very very early in, in life before my first birthday um, and lived here, oh gosh, nearly ever since three years in London working, but uh, here, here in Eastbourne and, and East Sussex for the rest of the time. Wow, okay. So, because I, I, re- I read about, you said about the, the school through GCSEs and A-levels you found quite challenging, so just didn't, ac- academically, didn't really buy into that type of thing, didn't? Yeah, I, I just... Um, teachers used to say to me that I probably could do it if I could be bothered and if I put my mind to it but yeah. I was never really that interested I'd much rather go out with my mates yeah. uh, I'd much rather kick a football around terrible football I have to say <laughs> but I just enjoyed those kind of things much yeah. more than what I deemed was the boring homework boring school stuff yeah. probably not different to a, an awful lot of people an awful lot of your listeners and your viewers yeah, so. yeah. I've got, I'm interested in to know like, what's your sort of take around the way I guess the education system as a whole what's your sort of take on on that I know we sort of spoke briefly about this offline before but um, I, 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 I wasn't very academic at school either and I, I look at it and think to myself like it's such an archaic way of learning. I, I, I just wonder whether there's what, what your thoughts are around that, and whether that the whole system needs to be looked at, and how maybe children are engaged. And yeah, I think so. I think um, when when I went to school back in the dark ages, um, teachers were still throwing um, um, chalk and and um, um, uh, other things at kids. Uh, yeah, we even had chalkboards in those days. Um, uh, And I think for me it it really depended on the teacher. Could the teacher inspire me? Mm. Um, There was one teacher who really did inspire me um, and he really uh, encouraged me and that was great and I did very well in his classes. Mm. Um, But others kind of less so. I think um, the the whole idea of academia for them was just, you know, to get... Um, It was a boys' grammar school in those days, and it was to get kids through the system, uh, make them do their studies, make them do their homework, get them through the exams, and then on with the next slot. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's kind of a churn feel to it all. And I think there is so much more that can be done. When you get a great teacher, Mm. wow, there is. My my wife, Sue, she had a fantastic teacher up in Northumberland, and she still keeps in touch with him. Um, Mm. And... He was very inspirational for the entire class, mm. and uh, and she loved it. Sadly, I didn't really experience that kind mm. of approach to teaching. That's really interesting, sir, because I, I, I interviewed a guy on here um, in the first series, uh, a guy called Steve Sellis. He works now with like, um, high-performance teams, 
Premier League football clubs, etc. Mm. But he was in education. He was a principal of a school, and he, he alluded to that exactly the same thing. That actually, you've got teachers are paid the same, and you've got one teacher in one class who is just got the kids attention and really inspiring them and someone else who is just and I feel a little bit sorry for teachers because there is that thing of you, the curriculum there is set in place they're judged on from Ofsted on certain results and you've got to get so it's just a memory test getting these kids ready for memory tests and I'm like how does that how does that inspire or engage people when you just get because some people just don't learn it in that way do they no they don't and you know i for me, I just found it very difficult to actually, to, for things to sink in. Like when, when it came to doing revision for O-levels and, and then A-levels, I found that so difficult. I couldn't, mm. I just couldn't learn it. You know, I know your brain's supposed to be like a sponge and absorb everything. Mine just didn't work like that. And it kind of, you know, you'd read it once, nothing, twice, nothing. Mm. Um, I tried writing it down, but I think I got more excited and I'm more interested in, writing it down while not actually remembering what I was writing. So yeah. it just didn't work well, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, so, we're, so I'm, I'm sure you listen to you talk about, obviously, with your parents being in that industry. Is that where, like, why you wanted to get into the world of journalism? Where, yeah, yeah. It, it was. Um, I, my, my father um, uh, left my mother um, with two very young kids, um, and, and therefore I didn't know it, but my father was also a journalist. Um, he was up in London. And so I suppose if the writing wasn't all on the wall, it was certainly on a newspaper page. <laughs> it was perhaps destiny that I would take an early interest in journalism, in the media. And, and I did, and I kind of didn't think about any other career option. Mm. For me, it was just the thing I wanted to do. Um, it was nothing, nothing to, no choices to make. I just thought, yep, that's that's what I fancy doing, yeah. and uh, and 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 so I pursued it. And um, as you've alluded to, Sam, my um, A level results, and I had to have A levels to get into journalism in those, in those days. Um, they were uh, poor, I think, is an understatement. I scraped through. I got I got three E grades which in those days was the bare minimum for a pass. And trying to get a job on a local paper, mm. um, I tell my sons, I told my sons at the time, um, so at the time when they were trying to get the first foot in the door job, but I wrote off 100 letters really? um, to local newspapers. Um, and I got one interview uh, on a Welsh newspaper in North Wales, and I made the journey up there for them to tell me, ah, no, we need someone who is a Welsh speaker. Um, <laughs> so that interview didn't go particularly <laughs> brilliantly, um, you know, and I ended up uh, finally uh, finding a job. But but I knew that it was it was the career that I wanted to to mm. do, and I just I just felt it was I just keep going until I got in there. Love that because it is because I. I Actually, speaking to lots of people as I do on here, and and me as well, I guess my journey. I'm, there's um, you're quite in the minority, I think. People who, who know exactly what they want to do from that young age, and yeah. um, I know my wife. Like we went to school together, but she was adamant she was going to be a solicitor, and that's the career path she's taken. Mm. And it's great to yeah. to to have that. And it's uh, th there's so many kids 
literally get to 16, 17, 18, A-Level. I stayed on to do A-Level. So I wasn't, as soon as I didn't make it as a footballer, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. So you go, and it's, it, but it's great that, like you said, I guess that gives you the focus and determination to write those hundred letters to keep going until you get to where you want to get to. Yeah, um, I mean, my sons, um, I've got three boys, three boys, three, three grown men, um, and um, the eldest, David, who celebrated his 30, sorry, celebrates his 30th birthday later this month, um, he will, um, he, he's gone through university, he's done an MA, he's done a PhD, um, and it's only now where he's decided where he wants his career mm. to be, yeah. um, which is not related to his PhD in the slightest. Um, my middle son um, is living at home at the moment. He's kind of between jobs. He's come back from South Africa where he was working in sort of um, game reserve activity, but, but because of COVID, he couldn't, he couldn't stay on there. He yeah. had to come back. Um, and he's uh, he's now thinking um, of of what the career options are for him, but for me, I think it was just so much easier mm-hmm. um, because I just knew what I wanted to do, and I just decided that was where I wanted to be, and and I just made it, you know, j- you know, I just decided that right, that's that's got to be the place I want to be, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I I made it happen. Amazing. So talk to me, so you've gone through, obviously, a few years, you, you worked for the, Ar- up at the Argus, right, and then for a few years, and then before going up to London, you was in Flea Street for, for a few years as well, wasn't yeah, you? Um, yeah. Talk to me a bit about that, that sort course. of period, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I had a, if you like, I had a bit of a false start. Um, my dreams of getting to Fleet Street, being a top a writer, um, took something of a back seat because my first job was on commercial motor, which was uh, writing about lorries and trucks. And um, I made a name for myself by um, borrowing a Mercedes truck. I was just moving house. Uh, house, that's a bit grand. I was moving bedsit um, <laughs> in London. And, um, and I borrowed the, this lovely brand-new Mercedes, and that's one of the perks of working on a truck and lorry magazine, and um, filled it up uh, with diesel. Because, of course, all... all uh, all vans in those days took diesel. Yeah. Um, started making funny noises, smoke coming into the uh, into the cabin. Thought nothing more of it. Um, topped it up a second time eventually after another day of driving around, and of course it uh, it conked out. And um, it turns out that I was given one of the first ever petrol-driven um, vans <laughs> for the weekend, <laughs> which I managed to completely <laughs> trash for Mercedes. Um, so I knew that my career was not going to last long in uh, in the truck and van field. Um, so after three and a half years um, and working my way up, doing the sort of the training there, um, I was effectively a senior journalist on a trade magazine. But in those days... Um, and this would have been the early 1980s, um, there, there was a definite career path to get to Fleet Street, and that, ha- that involved working on a local newspaper, then an evening newspaper, and then getting a crack at Fleet Street. Yeah. Working on a trade magazine just didn't cut the mustard. Right. So uh, I thought, okay, well, I've got a, I still want to get to Fleet Street. Well, how do I do that? Then I was offered a apprenticeship back to the beginning again on the Eastbourne Herald newspaper mm. and the pay was a disaster zone um, I was doing okay up in London 
and I took a massive pay cut. But it didn't bother me because, of, yep, this is great. This is an opportunity to actually start the career I want to. Mm. So I didn't view it as four years treading water. I viewed it as, well, that was great. That's given me an, a, an introduction to that particular type of writing and the specialist magazine market. And now I'll have a go at what I really want to do, which is uh, covering jumble sales fates and um, mayors launching things. Um, so, so that was quite a difference. Um, I got my, uh, my training done. I got my qualifications on the Eastbourne Herald. And, then with the, and I'd also been doing freelance work for the Argus newspaper, which you weren't yeah. supposed to do. Um, my editor, though, knew that I, I wouldn't hang around long. And when I got my training, I said to the Argus, right, I'm ready, come and get me. And very kindly, um, they said, yep, we've got a job for you. And uh, I started working for the Argus. Wow. And, um, and uh, I was there a couple of years, but again, Fleet Street was still in the back of my mind. And so I thought, well, how do I get to Fleet Street? I'm on the Argus, which is great, that's step two. Yeah. But I really want to take that big step up to Fleet Street. And for your younger listeners, viewers, um, Fleet Street probably means nothing, but it's where all the national media yeah. were based back in the day. Um, and so I managed to get some um, freelance shift work up at the Daily Mail. Um, some of you, I know, will throw your hands up in horror at the Daily Mail. I apologize <laughs> for that, but needs must. Uh, and so I'd be doing a, a day shift on the Argus, starting at 7 a.m. because it's an evening paper, so everyone starts early, yeah. finishing at 3 p.m., jumping on a train up to London for a 5 p.m. till midnight shift. And I was wow. doing that about three days a week, and people say, wow, how'd you do that? But that's what we do. Sam, you'll back me yeah. up here. That's what we do when we're younger, 100%. and we need to get on, and we need to try and make a, you know, um, make a name for ourselves and, and get noticed. Mm. So that's what I did. And eventually, um, uh, and then I got some shifts on the Sunday Express. I, I was given a trial on their investigations team, special investigations, which sounds far better than actually it was. <laughs> um, and at the end of my trial week, I was offered a, 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 a job, um, a full-time job, which were very few and far between in those days because most people had to work as a freelancer for some years. Mm. And I'm not pretending I did anything special because I didn't. Um, but I said, no, that's not for me, because I thought that would mean I would have no time at all with my family, which mm. was important to me. Mm. Um, and so I got a nice letter back from the editor of the Sunday Express saying, I can't believe you turned down a job. You'll never work in Fleet Street again. Wow. So when I got my job in Fleet Street, um, <laughs> about three <laughs> months later, he was the first person I wrote to. Um, just to say, well, thanks for your vote of confidence. I'm delighted to say that I've now got a job in Fleet Street, uh, working for uh, was out, it was called Press Association then. It's, it's known mm. as PA now, PA News, and it's kind of like the um, the European version of Reuters. Mm. So Reuters covers the whole world. Press Association covers um, predominantly the UK, mm. a little bit uh, of European stuff as well. But I thoroughly wow. enjoyed that. There's is a few bits actually to. I really want to delve in and take out of that for me listening, and I'm sure for somebody listening. One, the the laser focus and determination to get to that. And if you, I guess, if you've got that vision in mind and where you want to go, and it, it, whether it's starting a business and and building that or or a career, whatever it is, if you've got that vision, 
and that determination that whatever that path looks like to get there because um, it's not always linear it's never in a straight line and, no. and it's always over. but as long as you've got that end goal in mind that that path you can take it because you know whatever ups and downs you face on that journey you're you, you can visualize that ultimate goal in the end yeah I, th- I think you're right sam and, and when i joined press association um i joined in probably the worst job that was on offer which was the overnight news reporter no one else wanted the job <laughs> if i'm honest so i get up to the office at 11 p.m mm-hmm. and um, i take over from the night news editor who had finished his uh, his, his evening shift and this was Fleet Street um, in the early 90s, so there was still a drinking culture then. Yeah, yeah. So the night news editor would often um, be down the pub, and I'd have to call him and say, look, I'm here, and, um, and, and get my brief over the phone sometimes. Um, and then I'd be doing not an awful lot, if I'm honest, until 7 in the morning when the day news team would come and take over. So my job was just to kind of steady the ship, make sure nothing really went wrong with it overnight. Mm. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And then, thankfully, I was reprieved and um, and I got a, got a job during daylight hours. And <laughs> I uh, um, got a job on the news desk, which is kind of like the middle management side um, mm. of, of a news organisation. And, um, and, and, yeah, but... but Coming back to your point, Sam, uh, I think there was ne- I, I never had any thoughts about I am a fantastic writer. I'm not. I'm not an AA Gill. I do a decent job. Yeah. Um, I do a thorough job, but I was never going to set the world alight, and I knew that, and I was quite comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to get to Fleet Street and to work on a national news organisation, and. Um, and I never applied for any positions within PA, but I think people saw that um, that I I was a hard worker. Mm. I didn't waste time. I didn't go down the pub for half of my shift, and I just did what I was paid to do. Which mm. to me, like most people, it's the most normal thing in the world to be doing. Yeah. Um, but in journalism, I think it attracted the kind of people who. Um, uh, have that slight rogue element to them sometimes right. and they do their own thing um, whereas I was probably quite boring in that respect and so I eventually got offered um, the news editor's job um, which was kind of running uh, quite a big news operation for Press Association mm-hmm. which was a big step up for me um, and it was an early start it meant um, um, because I was still living in Eastbourne and just started a family I decided not to move to London so I was on the eight minutes past five train in the morning um, and getting back. The, the shift system was very good, so I didn't. there was no u- usually no additional hours to have to put in at the end of my shift. So at about 3.30, I'd be looking to head off and get a train back to Eastbourne. Mm-hmm. But it did kind of mean you were always tired. Um, yeah, it's a long old day, yeah, that, that commute and that, yeah. that long old yeah. l- long day. And I, I, ge- I guess... The other thing I really want to take from that as well, and, and we'll we'll come on to it a little bit later about sort of work-life balance and stuff. But actually, the the turning that job down at the Sunday Express because actually that didn't marry up with the, your core values and wanting to spend more mm. time with your family mm. and and like you say, being in, uh, being present. I guess in them moments and as, as long days as they were, I'm sure getting back around five half five or something, you, you was able to see the kids and 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 yeah. be in that environment and that's such a 
that's such an important message i think for for, for me i guess for a lot of listeners and people talking i always talk about the work-life balance thing and it's always when you're running your own business when you are working in a, a job that whether you've got a commute or whatever that looks like just actually as long as whatever you're doing your core values you realize what the most important thing is and for you listen, listening to you talk obviously there was that drive and the turn i want to get to fleet street i want that and that sunday express job was probably the one oh, what a great opportunity but still because it didn't marry up with your core values or what you wanted out of life in general then you didn't take that and that's a I think that's just such an important message for, for people. Yeah, I, I, I think it for me it was. For me it was an easy decision to mm. make because I knew it's not me, you know. During my uh, my trial week I was getting phone calls at two in the morning saying, Right, we want you to jump on a train at six, we want you to go to Birmingham, we want you to meet um, you know, three sex workers and get their story, um, and then we want you to keep an eye out for um, and a, a drugs cartel that's operating in that area as well. And you think, I'm thinking, well, uh, there's a kind of element of danger here apart <laughs> from anything else. Um, and I just decided, you know what, life is too short. Um, <coughs> it's it's just, it's it's not for me. Excuse yeah, me while yeah. I have a little sip of my, uh, I'd like to see gin and tonic. <laughs> we could have done this in the <coughs> afternoon. We would have had a gin. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, for me, it was it was an easy easy decision to make, mm-hmm. um, but I, I I was driven for the right opportunities. Um, so perhaps a good example of that would be um, when I'd been chatting to the Sunday Times. They had what used to be called the Insight Team. That was their special investigations team, mm-hmm. and I'd been working with them on a freelance basis while I was still at PA, but just helping them with contacts within the sort of um, south coast area. Mm. So if they were doing a story about a company, let's say in East Sussex, they would often ring me up and say, right, can you go and stand on a doorstep? Can you get some intel on, on mm. this particular company? And um, and I was getting married, and um, I'd gone up to uh, uh, Morpeth near Newcastle um, for the marriage, and um, I got a call from the Sunday Times Insight team, the editor, saying, right, we've got a job opportunity. Um, interview is tomorrow. Um, uh, we want you down here for 10 a.m. So I had to chat with Sue, explain that I promise I will be back for the wedding the following day. <laughs> but I did need to fly down to London for the job interview, which I did, um, and, um, and, and then fly back. Um, in in time for the wedding, uh, I didn't get the job as it turns out. But uh, <laughs> I, I think, it, you know, if you for me it was an opportunity that I felt I had to pursue, yeah. and it, it wasn't to be. Yeah. Such is life. You yeah. know. <coughs> of course. I mean, so t- tell me, talking about opportunities and, and and leading on from it, talk to me about what what led you then in art. You <coughs> was it the Fleet Street thing? You right, I've ticked that off now. Was that what led you then to go right? Oh, I'm going to start my movie. What led you to start? Yeah, in no, you're, you're absolutely right, Sam. Um, I had two dreams, I think. Um, one was to get to Fleet Street, and the other was to work for myself. Um, I thought, why? When did that, f- working for yourself, when, when when did that first... I think probably when I was working on local newspapers mm. um, and seeing the hard work that I was putting in um, was meriting me flappance halfpenny in my pay packet mm. and I thought well someone's doing quite well out of me here and it certainly isn't me <laughs> yeah. 
And so I think that that germ started to grow within me, thinking, yeah, I want to get to Fleet Street, but I also would one day like to work for myself. Mm -hmm. And <coughs> so in 1995, um, I was offered, um, uh, the Press Association um, offered me, a, the, a new editor-in-chief came in, and um, he, had, he wanted to reorganize the management structure and he wanted to create a kind of super news editor's job. Mm. So you had a day news editor and a night news editor, and mm. I was the day news editor. He wanted someone who could split across both areas of the shift, not doing two shifts uh, per day, because that's impossible, yeah, but, yeah. but st a later start and a later finish, so that that person would have... Um, have have ownership of both elements, both shifts, the day shift and the and the night shift. Yeah. Um, I was offered that job, um, <coughs> more money, but um, I discussed it with Sue, and, and we both realised that that would mean that she would never see me, and I would not see my children, mm. and so that was kind of what prompted me to think, no, fine, I'm going to say no to that they won't be happy yeah. because they won't believe that I've just turned down a nice promotion. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is going to be the impetus for me to, to give up my day job and to, um, to, to work for myself. And I knew that through my work, um, I'd come across PR companies for the first time, public relations companies who were sending me press releases while I was the news editor, because my job yeah. was what they call copy tasting. So part of my role was to look at the stuff that was being sent in and work out, yep, oh, well, that's an interesting line there. And my view of PR agencies in those days was that they were appalling, that they didn't know what a news story was, they wouldn't know what a news story was if it came across and hit them in the <laughs> face. Uh, and so very big-headedly, I thought, God, do you know what? I can do that. So with no PR experience or training, I thought I can set up on my own in my hometown in Eastbourne and I can be a PR consultant and earn much more money than I would in Fleet Street working for somebody else. And so that's what I did in 1995. Wow. Wow. I love that. And I, I, and I guess for, for me, again, listening to that, that, that mm -hmm. story and having that... Like you said, having some certain goals and dreams that you've got in your, your life and actually ticking them off, but then again, still back to that thing we just mentioned about those core values and and like you said, you could have taken that promotion potentially and it could have, you know, a really nice job and a, you know a great opportunity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, back to family and I guess what's important really through like you alluded to earlier, life's very short and. You know, we only get one shot as being a parent as well as mm. what we do at, at life. So making sure that around for them, I guess, as hard as it is starting a business, um, you are in charge of your own destiny. I guess to a certain degree, so yeah. that allows you them more flexibility to a degree. I, th I think it. I think that's that's the initial draw. Yeah, and that's what we all think. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we just moved house and. Um, how old were the kids at this point? When, in, um, in the so court? this would have been 95. Um, so we'd have had um, uh, David, um, the eldest, um, was with us. Um, Charlie, uh, Sue was pregnant with Charlie, but we didn't have our youngest by then. Wow, wow, okay. um, so we moved, uh, we moved house. Um, 
and I remember saying to Sue, don't unpack, because I'm not quite sure if we're going to be here in a month's time. <laughs> and um, that wasn't the, th the sort of thing that Sue perhaps wanted to hear. Um, but I just felt that I'm not sure if moving out while giving up your day job is the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, of course it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, we thought, oh, well, let's, you know, let's just do our best to make, to make the most of this and really try and make it work. Mm. And I've been doing some work for an outfit um, based over in Shoreham. They're still based there, National Federation of Sub-Postmasters, which I know sounds really exciting. <laughs> but I was helping them um, with a newsletter and just doing some general press stuff for them. Mm. And that was enough to pay um, the mortgage and the food wow. bill, thankfully. And um, then it was up to me to try and just to try and build up. Mm -hmm. um, as I say, I've... I knew nothing about the world of PR, apart from the fact that I thought I was quite good at helping companies get exposure. Mm. Uh, and, and my, you know, whatever they approached me for, the answer would always be, hey, let's write a press release about it. So I kind of didn't do strategic marketing, big thinking. Um, it was just, yeah, yeah, let's write a press release. And, and, and that was fine for a couple of years, and the business grew quite nicely. Um, but then I suppose you realise that no, do you know what? You've got to be a bit more sophisticated than just say, yeah, we'll write a press release <laughs> about it. <laughs> I love that. And I guess one thing there taking out is that you say about, I guess, when, when's the right time to start? Because there's a lot of people who often ask me or they speak, oh, you know, I've got this idea, but I'm not really, not sure. Not When's the right time to, to and I always, when's the right time to start a business? And for me, it's always similar to starting a family. There's never a right time, yeah. is there? Yeah. There's never a right time. Like, yeah. like you said, I'm just moving house. We're just doing, <laughs> just giving up my day job. We're doing, got a young family, potentially not the, the, the best time <laughs> to, to start a business. But, you know, actually, I, because you've got to make it work. I guess that's the that's the other driver with a lot of startups and entrepreneurs. Sometimes, especially if you've got a family as well, you, there's a part of you, you've got that hunger and you've, you've got to make it work, haven't you? Because you've got to, yeah. you know you've got to provide and, yeah. and and put food on the table. So that, there's that underlying... Yeah, and I think sometimes decisions are made for you. Mm. Um, I, I, I think you get a lot of people who finally become so uncomfortable that they're going to do something about it, mm. and that's the opportunity for them. There are other people who perhaps find themselves maybe through redundancy, through mm. um, you know uh, things around their their life just changing that they they do need to make that move now. Mm. And for me, you know, getting the offer of the the super news editor job, mm. me turning it down. That was really the point that helped me think, right, come on, this yeah. is the time. If I'm ever going to do it, now is the time. Mm. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of people perhaps um, will, will see that in, in their decision-making. I mean, mm. I'm glad, I'm sure you are as well, Sam, that there are not more people who decide to give up their day jobs and, and set up their own business because that would yeah. be an awful lot more competition for, for you <laughs> and me. Absolutely. Um, but... Uh, you know, for me, it was just it was it was the right thing to do at the right time. And, and I guess as well, like you, you mentioned a few times, obviously with Sue having having a partner and having that buy-in from them as well, and having that support as well, and belief that you, mm. you know you can go and do it. That's so important, I guess, as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, Sue has always been. I know it's a cliche, but she's always been my rock. Um, she's always and and Sue. Um, um, was a, a, a journalist uh, like me so 
um, we met on the Eastbourne Herald. Mm-hmm. She was a, a Geordie girl who'd just come down and got a job as an apprent- uh, as a trainee journalist. And um, I'd been there all of two weeks, so I felt very mature, very much the main man when <laughs> she joined. Um, and um, but we we got on really really well, and so we worked together on the on the Herald. We then moved. I moved to the Argus. Sue then followed. Not follow. That's that's unfair. Sue then got a job on the Argus, mm. and and so we were both working on the Argus newspaper. And then you know I I headed off to Fleet Street, mm. and um, you know we decided um, to you know to get married, start a family. And and do the things um, that you know loving families do. Yeah. And Sue gave up her job um, to look after the family. She was the rock, but she's always been really supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she was very supportive of me um, giving up London. Um, she believed in me, which was really kind of yeah. her. Um, and you know we've made a we've made a go of it. Thankfully, yeah. touching wood. <coughs> I would, how many, I mean, what, oh, I can't remember what the statistics are, but something ridiculously high percentages of how many businesses fail in that first year, or mm-hmm. then how many don't make it to five years, etc. Yeah. And he, yeah. here we are having this conversation twenty-eight years <laughs> later, um, and and COP PR still going, yeah, going strong. And um, no, that's right. And um, people say to me, "Wow, you're so lucky," you know. Well, yeah, but, you know, as you know, Sam, you make your own luck. Yeah, um, <coughs> you work hard, you work very long hours. You it, Sometimes it's very stressful. Um, we don't always have lovely clients to work for. All of my clients now, I have to say, are fantastic. Yeah. <coughs> but, you know, we do, we do have difficult scenarios, difficult situations. Mm. Um, you're always looking at next month and thinking, okay, I think the invoices are looking good for this month. We'll be fine, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you always have to have one eye ahead, one eye back, just checking that everything's everything's looking okay. Mm-hmm. And in a salad position, you, you don't have those stresses. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I'm p- pleased I'm not saying woe is me. Far from it. Um, but you do have a different side, a different mm-hmm. bunch of issues that you you have to be aware of and you have to take note of. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Because I think that some people see that, uh, and I'll get that sometimes a lot. About, <coughs> no, pe- people might see part of, obviously, what, what I do, and we do that networking, you know, be at a lunch here, and, uh, and people, God, I'd love to have your life, and I'd love to go, yeah, okay. And it, it, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the with the with my path that I've taken and, and, and chosen, and I do enjoy it. I'm lucky I enjoy the things that I do do, but actually there is still a lot of... Because when you are at these events, no one's doing the work that you need to do, so they don't yeah. see the 2 o'clock yeah. in the morning stand up yeah. and maybe doing some invoices or stand up and doing certain bits and pieces because you end up, when you start out as a, as a business owner, you end up wearing quite a few hats, don't we? And uh, not just, uh, oh, I'm going to do this because I love that, like, Obviously, with journalism, I'm going to do this and I love mine, but it's the whole other aspect of running a business and employing people, etc., and and doing those other aspects that that become a challenge. I am, it took me um, a long time before I was brave enough to take on my first member of staff. Um, How many, how how long? um, Five years. Wow. um, Because what would happen is that um, the business would build up and build up. Sorry, the business. It was me. Yeah. Um, so I'd get busier and busier and busier um, working long, long hours, 
juggling lots of plates and then a contract would come to a natural conclusion um, or the company would be taken over and that often meant that there'd be an existing PR from the company that's done the taking over and I'd be out. And so the income would then drop mm. and I'd say to myself, oh, thank goodness I didn't take somebody on to help me. That is, you know, that would have been such a bad thing to do. And so this continued year after year, busier, busier, busier. Oh, something happens, back down again. And then I thought, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, take that big jump. I'm going to employ someone um, and we'll see how it goes. And amazingly, <laughs> it got so much better because instead of having to juggle all these jobs, I was able to delegate some, which allowed me to go out and network and push for new business and new business came in and you just think after a while why was I so silly why <laughs> did I not see that but like everything I think you have to you you know when it's th the time's right and sometimes it does take you know someone as thick-skinned as me you have to be jabbed quite a lot before you actually decide right now's the time to That's do something yeah well talk, talk to me you, you mentioned a little bit about so obviously some of the challenges that we face over, especially, uh, you know, one one of the reasons, obviously, for starting the podcast is, I, 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 for me, I love the conversation about business. But you know, I look at my journey and you know the ups and downs I've had, and I've had to close a salon which didn't work, and I, you know, look at that as a failure or whatever. But you learn from those things, and I, I think I'm, I'm always keen to explore, but because. As I alluded to earlier, some people see that, oh, you've run your own business. One, if you're running your own business, you've got to be super rich and you've got loads of time on your hands and you get all this stuff, which is not always, <laughs> certainly not always the case. So I'm just trying to, I guess, bring to light a lot of some of the challenges that we do face uh, uh, running business, especially for for 28 years. Talk, talk to me through recessions, I guess, global pandemics now and and all sorts. Talk, talk to me about some of the ups and downs. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So starting off with the recession, um, I was driving Mercedes in 2007. Everything was looking good. Um, and I liked nice cars, and I felt it was my, my treat in mm. life. I work hard, and I deserve something like that. Uh, and so I had a Mercedes. And then people started talking about, you know, the media started talking about a, a recession, global recession, banks failing. I thought, well, that's fine. That's, I, don't, I don't do banks. That's not a problem for mm. me then. Um, and then by 2008, we found that a big number of our clients were just sitting on their hands and that the marketing budget was a very soft budget heading and that we were very easy to cut back. Mm. And so we found that a um, big number of our clients... Um, we're just cutting back and marketing as I say with soft budget they were and so the spend was it just finished it dried mm. up overnight um, some of our clients we we work with a housing developer um, rock ROK and um, but they just ceased trading and that was a big client for us for us thankfully they didn't owe us too much money uh, there are people in a very bad situation when, when things like this happen and a, a large company goes under, you know, mm. it's the suppliers that normally end up very out of pocket. Yeah. Um, so the recession was one challenge, but thankfully, um, you know, we took a deep breath. Um, we, we kept a very close eye on expenditure and we kept a very close eye on money coming in. 
and we started to chase outstanding invoices a little bit more, mm. which is always difficult because yeah. you don't want to be you don't want to be you know too difficult about it. But at the end of the day, you know, I've got staff; they need payment. Yeah. You know, they've got mortgages to pay, they've got food bills um, to, yeah. to sort. Um, but it did start to pick up, thankfully. Um, I suppose the other challenge that we had were was unscrupulous clients, clients who companies who uh, I, I took the attitude that I'd go for anything you mm. know if they if they needed help and I could ha and I thought I could fill that fill that gap for them mm. I could do it my due diligence it would be fair to say Sam was not always <laughs> uh, brilliant and so um, we took on a couple of clients who turned out to um, to be bad ones um, we had one guy uh, who wanted us to help publish or uh, promote a book for him. So I told him, even though we'd never done that sort of thing before, um, if he wanted to, we'd, we'd, we'd give it a go. Mm -hmm. um, and it turned out he was a VAT fraudster. He'd spent his entire adult life um, pretending to publish um, and then claiming the VAT back uh, with nothing to show for his publication efforts. And we wow. got caught in that. Uh, and, and that was about £10,000 we lost, uh, and he was jailed. And ironically, unbelievably, the, the front of this person, um, he asked if I would be a, a witness for him in the court case to say how amazing he was. Um, <laughs> still still <laughs> struggled with that one. Wow, um, wow. And then closer to home, um, we had a security company who um, got us to, to do some work promoting their services, which we did, and the payments got later and later. And you, you kind of think, oh, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, and then ultimately you realize that, well, that's about three, four months with no payments, and there's obviously a problem there. Yeah. And that's when they come clean and say, yeah, sorry, can't pay you. Um, we thought the, the promotional marketing well, it was our last gasp effort to try and get our name out there and get some new business in, but it's, it's just not worked enough for us. Um, those things are disappointing, but I think it it just shows you that there are some bad people out mm. there. There are some people who will take advantage, and and I think the role of a good business person is just to find the right kind of clients to work for. When I first started, I I thought I could take on the world. I <laughs> thought I'd go for everything. Um, because I was really good at what I did. Mm. So very, very big-headed. And then after a few years, you realize, you know what? Um, I, I think I'll be very comfortable working for some good people down in Sussex, down in, in London as our furthest boundary, typically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, life was so much better once I'd, uh, I'd decided that because I stopped beating myself up for not going for that, not getting that, not mm. winning that contract. Um, and you just realise that no, that's just silly. That's uh, again for me. That's quite an important message, really taken away. It's something I certainly I think I've learned a little bit over the last few years, and certainly the last eighteen months or so. In these type of conversations, is that you know, there's I'm a very driven, ambitious person, and, and I love that. I love the things I do, and I'm but there's ultimately it, there was. Leading up until when I was 40, I was very much like, oh, I'm gonna, like exactly that, going to take over the world and you want to mm -hmm. do this and I'm going to grow this. Mm -hmm. And to get, the, there are things that to get to that stage, that level of 
financial security or whatever that does that that looks like and building that large business there's there's quite a lot of sacrifices that come with with that and back to what you said earlier about core values about family and those important things actually do do I want to get to that stage because what does that mean and what does that look like does it mean that I haven't got a a good relationship with my kids I haven't got a great relationship with my wife because I'm not around at all and I'm not not present enough and actually those sacrifices that's not worth it to get to that to that stage so because surely I think what we're what we're sort of searching for I guess and what everyone wants is fulfillment and happiness and that actually doesn't financial reward doesn't bring that necessarily no, I don't think it, it doesn't for me, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm sure for some others it, it does. Maybe yeah. that's the most important thing, yeah. um, having a big house, having a big flash car, uh, you know, being a member of every uh, private club in London. Um, that probably does mean a lot to a lot of people, but for yeah. me, for you, no, it's never been about that. Yeah. Um, and family has always been important was I always there for my children no um work did come first sometimes I remember the first and only time Sue asked me to take two of our sons to school because she was um she had a hospital appointment or something like that and um I got to the first call school and said right come on out and um my son said to me but I left this school two years ago I'm at the school <laughs> round the corner now. So I covered myself in glory there. Um, I think that goes to show that I had not always been the most attentive father. Um, what I would say is that, um, you know, I wanted to be there for the big events, for the big mm. occasions, and, and I think pretty much I did okay on that. Mm. And the fact that uh, my sons, who are now grown up, one of them married, um, still come back for family holidays, uh, as someone said to me, as long as you pay, they'll <laughs> always come back. And I think there's <laughs> probably an element of truth in that. Um, but they still come back for family holidays and, uh, and mm. I have a really good relationship with them, uh, for, which, uh, for which I'm delighted. That's, that's amazing. And I, do, and I, I, I often have this conversation with Kelly because I, similarly, I still, I'm, I'm fortunate, I do try and be around take them to school pick them up sometimes and and I, I'm, I try and work my days around those type of things so I am a little bit more mm. present but and I, I try not to miss out on on certain things but they do know that I, I am up very early and I do start work before they're even up I am out sometimes later than evening and I get home late and they do sort of see that side and and, and I'm I'm certainly guilty of not always being present, even when I, I can be in the house and be with them. But I'm not always <laughs> always present, and um and I'm something I'm conscious of that I'm sort of working on. But I do think there's a, there's th the other side to to that is that I'm hoping because I know my mum and dad they wasn't entrepreneurial at all really, but they they did show me a really strong work ethic, and I think that's something that's been instilled in me from a young age. And I'm hoping that I can instill that in my kids and they because uh, by you working hard running your own business they have seen a strong work ethic which i'm you know judging by what, what you're saying they've gone on to do and in their lives as well is they've had that i guess that they've been shown by you yeah i, th I think so um what um really with sue's um guidance 
We wanted to make sure that um, our three f sons did not um, need to go into our business. I think there was there's always a, an expectation from around you, from other people, mm. that one of your sons would take over mm. Cobb PR. We've never been like that. We've never thought that, felt that. Um, and I think it was some years before the boys in their teens worked out what dad did for a living. <laughs> they knew he worked hard. They knew their new mum worked hard. But um, they didn't really know what we got up to during mm. the day. Uh, but that work ethic, so, so we were very, very um, sure that they would not come into the communications world. Mm. Um, they would not follow in our footsteps. If they wanted to, of course, that's Would different. you have embraced that? That's what yeah, if they had come we in would they have got done. Down. I've seen yeah. what you've done up, Mum. I, yeah. wa I want to I be involved. Can but I take this over? Yeah, absolutely. But I didn't want to be the pushy father. Mm. So, you know, saying to all of them, come on, come, come in on a Saturday and I'll show you what I get up to. And, mm. you know, you can have a go at something like this. Because... Uh, there wasn't that interest from the boys in the first instance. Mm. And although I suppose, if, I, if I'm honest, uh, that initially I thought, well, that's a shame. But Sue, uh, as ever, put me on the straight and narrow and said, look, 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 we don't want the boys going into the business if they don't want to. Mm. If it's not for them, it's not for them. They have their own careers, their own lives um, to follow. And, and we've always believed in that. Mm. And, um, so... You know, we we we're very pleased. You know that that they are doing their own things now and mm. and choosing their own career paths. Mm. Okay, I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors, EMC Corporate Finance. Trust must be earned, especially in business. It goes both ways and takes time to build. That's why you need an advisor with a proven track record who understands its value and, more importantly, the value you place on your business. EMC Corporate Finance is built on a legacy of trust. For over 30 years, they've been advising and supporting entrepreneurs, guiding them through the challenges of private company ownership. Whether you're looking to raise investment, accelerate growth, or crystallize value with a profitable exit, the team are here to help. So if you're ready to take that next step, let EMC be your guide. For more information, go to www.emcltd.co.uk. Okay, back to the podcast. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the same because I'd love. I've been a football mad all my life. I'd, of course, having twins, and I was like, of course they're going to be great footballers. I'm one of them, and they have not got any interest. Oh, they're still only young, and they may come future, but they have no interest yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And like you say, ultimately, as parents, all we want is them to be happy and choose their own path, and we just encourage that, whatever that. That looks mm. like, isn't it? But um, mm. I'm, I'm keen just, just touching before we move on, just touching on the sort of challenges side of stuff and like how that, that sort of recession time and that period, and then how does that sort of compare to where we are sort of now? I yeah. guess with the with the business and yeah. certainly mm. you know, last two years global pandemic. Um, talked about that period, but also like where yeah, like obviously there's obviously the talk about recession now, inflation, everything where we mm. are. What, 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 how does that sort of compare to where you are now? So um, when COVID struck, um, the word pandemic suddenly became popular. <laughs> What's a pandemic? You know, I know Was that not in the business is. plan then? That was in the business <laughs> plan. Um, no. Um, possible challenges, no. The global <laughs> epidemic did not, did not feature. Um, and so for us, it was a little bit like the recession where our clients were going, 
Ooh, what's this? What's this going to do? How difficult mm. is this going to be? Um, um, you know, uh, what's lockdown going to mean for their business? And of course, that has a knock-on effect for us yeah. because if they're not thinking about their own marketing, that means we're not getting work to do, mm. and and therefore. Um, times become a little bit more challenging for us mm-hmm. and we experienced that thankfully for only about two or three months and then our clients just big sigh and thought right no we, we're gonna have to crack on we're gonna mm-hmm. still have to crack on with our work with our marketing with our PR activities and so thankfully it wasn't as bad as I feared it might be mm. um, and we're actually really busy at the moment we've taken on a couple of new clients um not through any great marketing on our part it was just because i, I suppose when you've been around for so long um uh, uh, as i have that you know your name gets out there and sometimes if there's a, a challenging issue they know that if they come to us we'll we'll be able to sort them out mm. help them and and get in get on scene quickly and so we've had um, a couple of nice big clients that have come along and we've managed to wow them and they've uh, they've remained with us you know a year and a half on which is great so um, and I guess that you tell me if what because often people are sort of talking to me a lot about what you feel the mood at within the business communities and stuff like that and I don't don't know if you feel this but I, I certainly do that we you know, I, I wasn't running a business during the recession, but obviously I remember it back in 2008. But certainly since then, I'm running businesses as I have now. Like, it, it did, it shocked the world, the global pandemic. Of course, we didn't know how to sort of cope with it. But that word resilience come out, uh, you, you get through that uh, as, as a period and you sort of, I, I see this next stage as just uh, the feeling I'm getting from the community is actually, this is just another hurdle. We've got to crack on. There's no point in going, oh, no, I'm not sure about this or I'm not sure about that. We've just actually the mood is I know it's going to be tough, but it can't be much more tougher than the last couple of years. So let's just get our heads down. Let's crack on. That's that's certainly my attitude towards it. Um, And generally the people I'm surrounded by and the people I speak to, I think that's generally the the feeling I'm getting from the community is it, do you feel the same or yeah I, I think it is and you have that age-old expression of um, what doesn't kill us can only make us stronger mm. and I think there was a there was a big element of that during COVID during lockdown mm. and while there there were companies that went under some of them um, uh, really unfortunate they did everything to try and make mm. make things succeed at the same time, there were companies, zombie companies, which really shouldn't have been there anyway. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they went under. And okay, I can't say I'm too sad about that. Yeah. Uh, and there are companies, of course, uh, who almost dare not say it, but they've done bloody well during <laughs> yeah, COVID and lockdown. Yeah. You know, I, I know a person who I won't name and I won't say what profession he's in, um, but boy, did he do well during mm. lockdown and COVID, partly because of all the furlough, um, um, so, sorry, because partly because of all of the, um, the grant funds that the government was giving out to companies mm. um, to help them, um, to support them. And um, he was finding that a lot of these people were coming and spending money with him. Wow. Now, they probably shouldn't have been. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and maybe the tax man is having a good look at how they, uh, how they um, spent the, the government funding. 
uh, that came <laughs> through uh, COVID lockdown. But he's done very, very well. And good luck to him. Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. He's done well, but he had to be there in the first place. He had, you know, he had to um, be out there. People had to know about him mm. in order to get there. Um, so it, it's almost like I feel a little bit sorry for the companies that have done very well because some of them dare not say it. Ooh, yeah. yeah, actually, I've had a great lockdown. Yeah. COVID's been brilliant for our business. But as I say, good luck to them. Well done. Um, I'll, see, I'm, I'm, I completely agree with what you're saying, and it's not... And, and you've got to be, I guess, especially from a PR point of view, you've got to, the tone's got to be wide, you've got to be quite sympathetic to, to the world out there. But I do, there, were, there was a couple of people I spoke to during lockdown who had worse than to me, yeah? actually, like good friends who go, you know what, we're doing okay, mm. things have gone really mm. well, and because of the type of industry we're in mm. or whatever, you know, we, we've just mm. taken on more staff, we've doubled into it. I'm like, but it wasn't, I, I didn't get that um, that news and think to myself, Oh, oh well, well played to you. Like I'm really struggling, and you're doing. Mm. It was more mm. like because we need to hear those good mm. stories, and I was conscious of that within SBT, especially like being sensitive to to where people are yeah. and what, what they're in. But actually, it's great to see that there are some companies doing well, and and it's good to pro- shout about that and promote that yeah. and be you know because it gives other people maybe a bit more hope actually yeah. there is something out there that we can do and there are people doing well and you know a, a lot of um, your listeners and viewers will know Bradley Hatchett and Network yeah. My Club yeah um, when COVID struck lockdown struck um, I emailed him because he was on the cusp of doing great things yeah. and I emailed him and said oh Brad I'm so sorry this is this is happening this must be a disaster for you but you will get through it You'll come out on the other side. And boy, um, hasn't he had a great success story to tell? He reinvented what he was doing. He went online, uh, Teams calls, Zooms calls. He got his own software. And he has just gone from strength to strength. And you have to admire people like that who, um, who take adversity, not in their stride. No one does. But... I think Brad took the view that, yeah, you know, this is not good. Mm. How can I make it good? How can I make it better? And how can I lead the way out of it? And and that's, I think, that's that's what he's done. He's done really well and yeah. good for him. I, I, I completely agree. I know Brad really well. We've done some stuff together, mm. me, me and him. And um, I was with him last Friday. We'd, we'd gone to, to a drink together and, and we are sort of chatting about stuff. And it was it has been, like, I often knew the way... Uh, you know, people, companies had to pivot during mm. that time um, and no one more so than him yeah. actually going, you know yeah. what, we're taking a, a, a platform and a membership we've got and bringing it all online and they th- they pushed the bar on that as well. And I think, yeah. like you said, it actually, and he says it, I think in, in a, a couple of talks I've listened to him do, that Remo, the platform that he used, actually saved his business. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, because it elevated them as a networking group yeah. above everyone else who was doing Zoom, yeah. that he was... A, above the yeah. parapet and yeah. people were noticing and people were engaging and I think like you say he's come out bigger and stronger from it and yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah a real success story around yeah. that so, which is great and, and, and I think in the early days of COD PR and I'm talking a long time ago now I used to look at these people and be a little bit envious thinking oh gosh you know they're doing so well you know I wish I could do a little bit better and then of course you become mature you grow up and you think no Good for them. Mm. Well done. I'm really pleased you because if you're doing well, you're going to benefit the, the local economy. Yeah. I'm part of the local economy. Therefore, 
it's going to help me ultimately. Yeah, and yeah. Um, the more success stories we have and that we can praise, the better. Yeah, no, I, c- I completely agree. And, and it's, it's difficult, actually, as well, still, because I, I think we're all, we're all human, actually, aren't we? We all look at that. And it's even more so with social media now that you, we look at the highlight reels that most of us put out there, what's going on, and I'm guilty of it myself. Oh, look, we're doing this or wh- whatever. But actually, that's a snapshot of what's mm. going on in the world mm. or what's going on with their world. And it's easy to compare on social media. Go, oh, they're doing so well. They're doing so well. And if you get into that, you know, oh, I'm not doing as well as they are. What, what am I doing wrong? And constantly yeah. questioning. You've actually just, back to, I guess, the underlying talk around this whole conversation, you've got your, your core values, your vision, and know what you're doing. As long as you're on that path and you're doing what you, you believe yeah. is right, yeah. that's, that's good enough and that's great. And let everyone else do that, what, what they're doing and you'll, you'll do okay, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and again, you know, back in the day when I first started in PR, um, I used to think, well, I can't talk to other PR professionals because they're competitors. You know, mm. I can't, um, I can't mix with them. I can't really see them because they might steal my ideas. Uh, you know, they might try to put me down or whatever. And then, you know, after a few years, you realize, gosh, that's just daft, isn't it? You know, um, I won't pretend that it's always one big happy family, but, yeah. you know, it's much better to, to work with people, to be friends with people, mm. to, to be able to hold a conversation with people. I remember one of the companies um, in Eastbourne when I first set up, there was already a, a PR firm there, the only one. And, um, and then I came along, and they must have been thinking, oh, great, now we've got a competitor. But, okay, um, it was tough in the first few years, but now, you know, I see the guy who's running it, and um, I see him socially, and um, and it's great. We have a yeah. good old chat, um, and um, and I think that's how it should be, really. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think that, that that word, again, collaboration, was another big word that came out of the last couple of years, and I think more people, actually, because, because we was thrown together in that situation, you go, wow, we're all in a really tough position here, actually let's reach out and ask how are you dealing with this and what what's your uh, even with me and brad i guess like there, there's you know there's some similarities in regards to membership organizations we, which we've both got but obviously on different we, we've got our different things that we do but there was very much that that look, let's join together and collaborate and i think collaboration speaking to people and that's come out of and i think people are more open to that coming mm. out of covid that actually we were stronger together and of course look uh, there, there is always that bit of competition because you've got to you've got your own business to look after and you've got to do that so you've got to be aware of that I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying but I do believe that there's that being able to collaborate there is enough work for us all if we are and there's opportunities to collaborate work together and I think that's a, a nicer place to potentially be sometimes and I saw that particularly in the world of digital marketing um, and James Dempster who uh, who runs um, our digital side Fox and Bear yeah. um, James opened my eyes to the fact that he's got great relationships with companies that I would probably think are his competitors, yeah. you know, s- not quite sworn enemies, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. whoa. And, um, and James, I think, taught me that, no, 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 you, you can actually work with these people, you can have a really good relationship yeah. with these people, and you can learn. Um, and, uh, and, and that's been great to watch and to see, and I think the digital marketing 
um, sector within Brighton especially mm. really really strong yeah. and thriving yeah. and there's some fantastic companies around in that in that sector yeah, yeah I think the whole tech that te tech community and I know the guys that I know James especially has done some a lot of stuff with the guys at Silicon Brighton and mm. Steve Rackley and mm. and the guys what they're trying to do there and just create this it's, it's again back to community isn't it it's a, a real strong brilliant I, I often I'm very passionate about it and I mm. often talk about the, the the Sussex business community Brighton especially but just what an amazing community is and mm. people do want to actually support and and that like again that showed for me the last couple of years and especially with COVID and I think yeah. it is it's a, and but like you say certainly in that tech space as well yeah yeah it, it is um, and it, it's lovely to see and and I think it's going to go from strength to strength there's a, a big um, base um, now in Hastings, mm. which is lovely, and um, in Eastbourne we're a little bit behind, but we you know Eastbourne is really hoping that um, you know to attract some some new tech giants. Okay, mm. well tech giants slightly <laughs> overstating it, but some some new companies certainly that mm. that, that might perhaps um, you know be be born and bred in Eastbourne. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Brilliant. Well, look, I want I want to. Just wanted to touch. We mentioned about obviously some business challenges, um, but just want to talk a little bit about maybe some obviously your personal life mm. as well, and some. Mm. I know you're obviously diagnosed with MS. Um, mm. t talk to me a little bit about that. When, when happened, uh, how that sort of impacted you, and maybe the business over of the course. years. Yeah. Um, so 2012, um, um, I was a bit of a fitness nut. I was doing beachy head marathon. I was doing. I was down the gym quite a bit. Um, and I noticed that I had a, a sort of loss of sensation um, around my midriff area, stomach area, mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, I've seen done it last night down the gym. So I went to um, see um, a physiotherapist friend, really nice guy, um, and uh, he looked at me, um, he did, he got a CT scan, um, and he said, oh, we'll pop back in a week and um, should have a better idea of what's, what's going on. Pop back in a week. And he said to me, um, I'm not a consultant, I'm not a doctor, um, but I think you've got MS. And I was thinking, well, what, apart from multiple sclerosis, what, what can MS stand for? Because it can't be multiple sclerosis. Mm. Um, and and I, I remember saying to him, well, what... what MS, what, what, and he said multiple sclerosis, and he said, I, I can't, you know, I don't want to guarantee you, I don't want to scare you, but from what I'm seeing, I'm, go and get it checked out, because I think what you've got is MS, um, so that was, um, that was tough, mm. um, but, um, and it was diagnosed, and, I, and really, I was very fortunate to have it highlighted that early on, mm. Um, so many people with MS will spend years and years getting a proper diagnosis because it can be quite difficult to pin down. Yeah. Um, and for me, it has, um, it's not caused too many problems. Certainly in the earlier part, um, I would have lots of sensation around the body. It would come, it would go. So I have what's called relapsing and remitting MS. It comes and goes. Um, the danger is that every time it comes it takes a little bite out of you and so although it goes it might not go completely mm -hmm. so you'll be left with something that's not quite operating as well as it used to um, 
over the last year or so, balance has been more of an issue for me, um, um, which is annoying mm. more than anything else. Yeah. Um, I don't run anymore um, and I don't mountain bike, um, which is not me saying, oh, poor Tim is out of sympathy. I'm not in the slightest. That's just the reality of it, just no. the balance. When my head jogs up and down, the eyes take a little bit longer to adjust and to settle. Uh-huh. So what it means that if I'm running and my head's going up and down, I can't quite, the, the depth of vision in terms of is that the pavement or is that the road, is that a bump, is that a crack I'm about to trip over? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I become a little bit of a, of a danger um, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm running in mountain bike. So, th- th- that, you know, that's fine. That, that's what happens. So um, I've invested um, in a Peloton treadmill okay. and a Peloton bike in my garage. And um, and that has become the focus of my fitness now. So mm. every morning I spend an hour uh, in the, in my own homemade little gym. <laughs> it's always cold down there and damp. And when it <laughs> rains, the, the rain comes in under the garage door. Um, but I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm certainly not pretending woe is me or anything like that. Yeah. Um, there are people in a far, far worse situation. Um, so... Um, you know, I, I treat this that, yeah, I've got MS. It's it's part of who I am now. Mm. Um, it is my journey through life. Um, it's not going to get any better. Mm. You know, we know that MS is a debilitating disease. Mm. Uh, and the chances are that it will just take bites out of you, little bites, bigger bites as the years progress. If it does, it does. You know, um, uh, I will not be licking my wounds and thinking, woe is me, poor old me. You know, w- we get on with whatever's presented to us and everyone would do the same, I have no doubt. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sasha. I mean, I, I'm, I'm keen, just uh, when you first sort of, in 2012, that first sort of diagnosis, do, do you feel mm. that your mindset around how you would deal with that moving forward, was that obviously the initial shock, I guess, but... Was you quite early on going, right, okay, this is just how it is? And uh, similar to how you were, I guess, as we alluded to with the challenges in business and that Mm. mindset around business, Mm. the challenges, this is just part of my challenge and I will just make the best and I'll get over it. Uh, I wish I could say yes. Um, The reality is that probably for a couple of years I I was in a dark place. Mm. Um, I didn't want to talk about it. And I remember it was a couple of years before I told my boys um, the mm. fact that I had MS. And um, I remember when they, and I said about, you know, there's a chance that the MS gene could have been passed down because it, it that's how it works. Mm. No idea why I've got it. Mm. Um, it tends to be female. It tends to be areas of the world that are, that, that don't have enough sunshine, um, that, that, the people that get it and well i'm i'm a bloke so i'm in the minority i'm living in eastbourne which is supposed to be the sunniest place <laughs> you know in the uk so something's not quite right there and i said to the boys look, there's a chance very very small chance that, that there is that gene thing and um my eldest looked at me and said so um there's a 33 percent chance that one of us three is going to get cancer why on earth should we worry about ms and um and that was great to hear, mm. and they were absolutely right. So um, was I resilient to it? No, not for a few years. And mm. then 
and, and I wouldn't talk about it at all. And then um, I met um, Linda Bloom, um, uh, Linda and Tony Bloom. Mm. Uh, Linda Bloom um, had MS, has MS, um, and she um, has uh, been fighting it really successfully. And she set up a channel. No, she, she, self, she set up a charity called Overcoming Multiple Sclerosis (OMS). Um, thanks to the work of a, a really inspiring um, consultant in Australia who has MS, mm. and that really opened my eyes to the fact that whoa, you know, there are so many things I can do to keep this at bay, um, keep it in check, and but I've got to have the right attitude. And Sue um, bought a book about it, OMS, and it's all about diet. It's about various pillars that you have to um, you have to um, absorb and change. It was like, it was a huge lifestyle change for me. You know, mm. I'm a meat eater naturally, yeah. um, and I'm now plant based plus fish um, diet. Um, Fitness for me has become ever more important because it tends to be an early warning for me, mm. um, and and so so the resilience um, has eventually happened. It has arrived, and I'm now in a really good place about it. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't an immediate thing. I, I was very down about it for a couple of years. Yeah. And and uh, again, thank you for sharing because it, it look for anyone we sort of talk about it mm. these li- life changing mm. uh, I, I guess diagnosis <coughs> is whether it be cancer MS what, any, anything along those lines and um, it must be like like you say part devastating why me I guess them type of questions that, yeah. that sort of go through um, and I guess obviously like you said to not being able to or not wanting to talk about it within you know surrounded by people that obviously you love is is just a difficult space difficult headspace to 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 be in and um obviously having sue there and and Mm. supporting you through Mm. and 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 a great i guess a great response from from the kids was a that yeah that yeah them their response to that as well yeah it's almost like what you're wasting your time time chatting and getting all serious um it's no big deal um and that was absolutely the right response and um and they have been you know really helpful just for giving me a a, a, you know a a slap from time to time a pretend slap i hasten to (laughs) wear you know if i ever go a bit down about things you know come on you know it's it's not the end of the world at all and it's not it's absolutely not i'm not trying to demean other people who have ms much more seriously Mm. and there are people who whose life is plagued by it, and I feel great sympathy for them. Mm. Um, MS is a very personal thing. It attacks people in a different way. Mm, sure. So for me at the moment, um, you know, the battle continues. Um, the battle is being waged, and, um, you know, I continue to have the upper hand, and when that's not the case, well, hey, so be it. Um, but at the moment, it's brilliant, all good. Good, mate. It's good to hear. Thank you. And uh, you alluded there as well, obviously, about... Um, uh, about charity and, and stuff, obviously, with, with the OMS. I know mm. that, you know, you've, you've done a lot of work and supported a lot of charity mm. stuff over the years, and mm. I know that's obviously something that's really important to you. Uh, talk, talk to me a bit about that that type of, of stuff, yeah. and as well, uh, like, how do you think, like, it's quite, uh, as a CSR focus for most companies, it should be quite a, an important thing for everyone, do you think? Um, yeah, without getting on my high horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I for me it it was very important. I always felt that if you have if you get a living from the community, that there is some onus on you to to put a little bit back. Mm. Um, I think some companies try too hard with that. I would always say that put back when you can afford to put back. Mm. You know, build your business up first, make it profitable. Uh, and and then is a great time to start thinking right what can i do how can i support my local mm-hmm. community and it doesn't always have to be money it doesn't have to be you know writing a check for this writing a check for that mm-hmm. um for me a lot of it is giving my own time or giving my own skills mm-hmm. you know so um if there's a charity that wants wants a bit of help very often it'll be you know can you help promote this can you help do that mm-hmm. can you help us organize this event yeah that's that's great i'm very comfortable doing that mm. um and, and then it's a question of making sure i get the balance right you know i don't want to spend any more time giving stuff away than i'm actually bringing stuff in because then all of my team suffer <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it, sure. it, it's a it's a, a it's a, a balance to be had yeah. but no i enjoy i enjoy giving support um to local charities um and you know giving a bit of time if if i can if i've got the time yeah, yeah. I do think that's important. I'm, I'm the same. I think you know there is some amazing charities within within our within Sussex. You know, especially mm-hmm. in the ones that we sort of work with, and and I'm I'm very conscious. But I think that's a really good piece of advice, actually. That yeah, you've still got to you've got to be able to look after yourself and have uh, look after your business and make sure that's doing okay before you can yeah. be able to yeah. maybe support and. and do other stuff yeah i i think so i think that is important because otherwise you find you're you're giving too much of yourself away yeah. and you just you, and your focus goes and mm. you, you you forget that actually your, your main job is to bring the money in is to is to become successful so that you can give more mm. of your time perhaps if it's a financial thing you can do that as well yeah, sure. but but you know unless you're bringing the beans in um, <laughs> you're going to struggle yeah yeah it's <laughs> good advice mate it's good the, 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 there's something I'll, I'll be coming towards the sort of end of the last couple mm. of questions but before before we do there was so, something that you mentioned to me offline a little bit and I had to I had to talk about and this is the the midlife crisis Harley Davidson <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I love the motorbikes so t- yeah. talk to me tell me well of course me. the first time we met was in your um, your hair salon and I believe you were you were driving oh, you were riding down from Essex in every those day days. Yeah, seven days wow, a week wow that was a heck of a motorcycle uh, adventure um, <laughs> so yeah motorbikes and me um, when I was 17 um, I got into motorbikes yeah. um, I got my first bike was a Yamaha DT175 DTZ175 um, and and I'd been working uh, in a grocery store uh, to in, during the summer holidays to get some money away and then I bought that one when I was 17. Uh, I, I missed out the moped stage. <laughs> so a lot of my friends had, I think they were called Yamaha, they were called Fizzies in those days, <laughs> F1, Zeddy, and um, Suzuki mopeds. I'd missed that stage out and gone straight uh, when I was 17 onto a, a motorbike. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd gone up, and, and my last motorbike of that era was a Kawasaki gpz 900 which is very fast motorbike um and i used to go on lovely touring holidays with friends we went down we just go down to the south of france and just crash out for a couple of weeks on a on a a campsite somewhere and we had great fun um and then of course you grow up 
and you get your first company car. And I had a, a Vauxhall Nova, uh, which for the uninitiated, it was a very big 1.2 litre engine. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so suddenly I, I wasn't cold anymore and I wasn't wet when it rained. And that was just really exciting. And so I got sucked into the cars ev- ever since. Um, and then, uh, yeah, about 2008, um, a friend of mine, he'd been going on for a while about, oh, yeah, you know, you should come and get a Harley Davidson. You'd love it, you know, back just like old times. And um, so I went along to the dealership um, up above Hailsham, upper Dickery, and um, had a look at the bikes. And I thought, mm, yeah, do you know what? I, you know, I do fancy one of those. They look lovely, <laughs> you know, with the arms in the air and the <laughs> feet stretched out on the pegs. And um, so I did it. I, I, I bought myself a Harley Davidson. I joined the 1066 chapter, which is um, so when you when you buy a Harley, you are automatically registered in your local chapter, your oh, local really? bike group. Okay. And so I was able to wear a strip on my back saying, you know, 1066 chapter. And uh, and you feel it's a bit of a macho thing, if I'm honest. <laughs> and um, you feel a bit more alive. And, um, and yeah, so we used to go for outings at the weekend. We did a trip to Europe. We went over to Bruges. And um, I think the main thing is that when, and there are about 20, 20 Harley Davidson owners who went on that one. And so we were staying in a hotel with a lovely pedestrianized area out front. Mm-hmm. So we, we, by permission, we parked all our motorbikes out front. And that became a real tourist attraction for about the next couple of days while we were there. Because they, these bikes ain't cheap. Yeah. Um, you know, today you, you're paying about £20,000 plus for, wow. for a new one. Uh, and I was very pleased to say that in 2008, I was probably one of the youngest Harley Davidson <laughs> owners. Um, but, but, uh, and the other great thing about Harley Davidson was because there is no fairing, yeah. so there's no windscreen, yeah, sure. it gets bloody windy. And so anything above about 55 miles an hour was real challenge. <laughs> and that was just what I needed. Because if I'd have got a super bike, yeah. um, oh, God knows what I'd have done with myself. Yeah. Um, but Harley Davidson was good. But it lasted a couple of years and then I sold it. I grew up a bit. And um, I've now got my uh, current midlife crises of um, a piano. Um, so I attack and murder piano pieces once a week. And uh, French, uh, I, I, I did very bad. As we've discussed earlier, um, I got an E grade in my French um, A-level. Right. So I'm determined. I'm not going to take A-levels again because I hate exams. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've been you know, um, studying it online and I have one hour French conversation chats uh, every week, which I really enjoy. Wow. Um, so, yeah, they're the current crises. Their experience. I, 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 for, for me, you look, do look at people often say about, especially the motorbike side of things, midlife crisis. But they just uh, until you rode a mo- motorbike, there's nothing actually quite like it. I don't think. No. Uh, like my no. mum was a completely different. I was never really into bikes when I was younger. So it was never. Mum was purely right. I need to get from A to B. What's the quickest, most economical way? So. <laughs> the motorbike seemed like the most sensible thing, but if the first six months of me riding up and down that M25, if you had seen me behind the helmet, it was very much like, I can't believe people do this for fun, just get me there safely. Yeah. But seven yeah. days a week after a while, you've gone, oh, I lo-, and I actually really miss it now, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm coming round to that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe, maybe I'll get me get myself a Harley and we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. see. We'll see where yes, that goes. Absolutely. But, but um, look, we t- we come to where I talked about work life balance. I did want to touch, and you've mentioned throughout about Sue um, and your wife, obviously, but she's she's actually worked within the business for the last sort mm. of twenty odd years, isn't mm. she? So. To mm. You, you mentioned obviously earlier a little bit about you know not always being around with the kids and stuff like that. But th- do you feel that obviously over the years, looking back at that time, that you got a work-life balance? You got it right. You didn't. Did, especially, I guess one, one one thing with with Sue being involved in the business, it must have been very difficult to just actually switch off when you was at home because you're both involved in it. Yeah, that that's that's the danger. Yeah. Um, most people are horrified when they found out when they find out that um, not only are we married, but we also work together. Yeah. Um, so we have no real break from each other. When we we work from home now, um, as a result of mm. COVID, and we were in offices for fifteen years, um, but the lease came to a natural um, end, mm. and we decided no, we're, we're going to work from home um, at the moment. So that's what we're doing. Um, so. The only time we had any break when we had the office was when I was actually travelling to and from home to the office. Um, Sue would walk to get her exercise, and I would, uh, I would jump in the car and drive down, and then she get into the office, and I go, "Morning, dear. How are you? <laughs> been a while." Um, but Sue, um, you know, Sue's been brilliant for the business. She handles all the finance. She has her own set of clients. She's the sensible one. Um, she always was, always will be. I'm the one who comes up sometimes with harebrained ideas and Sue talks me down and says, do you know what, I don't think that's one of your better ideas. <laughs> and 99% of the time she's right, yeah. always right. Uh, and and I, I listen to her and I think that's why we're a good team. Yeah. You know, I want to push things this way and Sue will always say, mm, okay, but the downside of doing that is X, Y, and Z. And, yeah. you know, it's and we need that sometimes, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do, yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, look, we're, talk to me just about one, uh, talk about over the 28 years of running a business, uh, even go back to when you, obviously in Fleetwood, but t- could, could you pinpoint a highlight in your career? Talk, talk to me about... Uh, over the course of running a business, and what 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 does what does success look like to you? Um, I su- well, suppose um, highlight I would have to say um, is very much the social side. It's 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 the birth of my three sons, mm-hmm. um, who really, God, do they ground me day in day out? Um, you know, we're, we're at the stage now where I get a gentle scolding a gentle <laughs> telling off if I come up with something that's not quite right um, or my political views aren't quite in, a, in line with theirs um, so so that's probably the biggest high no that's definitely the yeah. biggest highlight I, in terms of work um, probably the, the, the best day we've had was that we are working for legal in general and we still are um, in the shopping centre in Eastbourne mm. and we'd be doing a good job for them um, they told us we were doing a good job for them they gave us um, a second and a third shopping centre to look after which was fantastic and then we had um, the chance to pitch for all 11 of their shopping centres across the UK and um, 
wow, was I terrified, I think would be the best term, when I went up to, to see them. I got my PowerPoint all sorted, went in there, plugged it in, could not get it to work. So the, um, the head of the interview panel said, well, forget that. We haven't got time um, to, to do that. So immediately, every bit of my presentation kind of was put on hold. And I was in this room filled with senior execs from L&G, um, pitching for the biggest chunk of business of my life. Um, but um, amazingly, managed to get the story across, managed to explain what I thought I was capable of doing for them. And we got the gig. And that Amazing. transformed the business at the time. Um, and and so that that would probably be, you know, one of the highlights of of, of the business world that um, that uh, that has come our way, for which oh, I'm very grateful. Love that, and that 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 those moments sometimes we are thrown in because we can go in with the best laid plans, mm. can't we? Again, we alluded to over the last 28 years and all the ups and downs, recessions, all them bits and pieces. We we don't global pandemics that we can't plan for yeah. there's certain things in yeah. life especially in business that you know actually I, I wasn't prepared for that I wasn't but that sometimes is what makes us who we are isn't it and you come up with it yeah I think it is it makes you think on your feet um, it makes you um, adjust your plans what you were going to talk about um, uh, and I think the best way is to is to go to meetings uh, assuming that everything's going to go wrong and then <laughs> when things do go right, it's it's actually quite a nice surprise. And you yeah. think, well, you know, someone up there is smiling on me, and um, and uh, maybe it's maybe it's a good sign. Yeah, love it. And 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 I just alluded to there about about obviously what sort of success. The reason I ask about success is I think for me there's that narrative out there still. And it's a really strong narrative actually that someone you, you the metric we measure successes is, is generally based around people's financial you know, stability or reward or whatever that company's done really well because he must be very su she must be successful because mm. they turn over 100 million or whatever that looks like what what does how do you you measure success in your eyes and what does success look like to you i suppose um if i go back to to my roots um i remember when i was um pre pre-teenage years, um, came from a family where money was really tight. Um, and this is not a sob story at all. It just mm. money was tight and um, there wasn't much of it about. And I remember going to um, somebody from my mum's church said, oh, I'll take, I'll take your, your children out to the theatre, which was like, wow, what's that all about? <laughs> so we went to the theatre and I remember to this day, that the woman bought me um, a soft drink and some crisps, and I just thought, wow, she must be so rich to be able to do that. <laughs> and uh, and that struck with me, stuck with me ever since. And so I've always known that I wanted money in my pocket. I wanted to buy things that I wanted to. Um, that's certainly not the most important thing, but it's 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 good to be able to have some money in the bank account where you can do the things that you want to. I suppose success really for me is having a really happy family, um, having a great team around me at work who enjoy working with me and with Sue, and they and I think they do. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I suppose. I don't want to be a multi-millionaire. Um, I want to um, 
have enough um, that I don't have to wonder where my next pound's going to come from. Um, but I'm I'm not greedy like that. You know, I don't want the big flash car anymore. You know, I don't want the biggest house in Eastbourne anymore in Brighton. Was um, there a I period for you that that was a bit of a driver? I remember um, we were some friends in Ireland and we went to um, one of their friends' houses and it was a lovely house. And I was thinking, I'm a failure. You know, I've not got a house like this. Mm. Um, I'm going to have to work harder. I'm going to have to put more effort into it and get a house like this. And then a year later, you think, that's just daft. You know, so he's got a lovely house in Ireland. Great, it was probably about, you know, 20% of the cost that he's buying over here in East Sussex. Mm. Um, and, and you worry less about things like that. And the, the real things that become important are, for me, and I'm sure the same for you, Sam, is, is family. Mm. You know, having um, sons who, for me, sons who are healthy, um, who have got good relationships, who are happy in life. Mm. Um, that's so much more important than how much you want your bank account. Love that. Love that. Yeah, I, mate, I, I completely agree. And I, like I said, I, I think listening to you talk and, and getting to know you, as I've done over the years, and I'm, I was a little bit, I was always, like I said, I remember getting to 40 and going, Failed. I've not achieved, look, I've not got the house that I, mm. I promised that we was going to be in. I've not got this, I've not mm. got that. And you look, but actually, what got me through that and over that mindset was that I was looking around and just surrounded by people who love me and who yeah. I love and yeah. I check that for me that's I changed my narrative around what success was and I thought if I died tomorrow actually I think I'd be seen as a successful person if my not if they measured my bank account and looked at that but if they did look at the relationships I've built and hopefully the the friendships and love that I was surrounded by if that was where of my how my life was measured, then that would be successful and 100%. that was okay with me. I yeah, so 100%. I agree, brilliant. What does the future hold for you, Tim? Um, I'm very lucky because I still enjoy what I do. <clears throat> so um, I think CoPR will continue for the foreseeable future, um, all things uh, going well. And um, I still, although I'm a little bit older than when I first started, well, about 30 years older <laughs> than when I first started, um, I'm <clears throat> I still have, um, you know, my my brain seems to function okay. Um, I'm a always been a people person, and and I think you know there's you know there, there's for us there's always work out there to be won and mm -hmm. to companies to support. So I think. Um, CoPR is not going anywhere for the foreseeable future. Love it. Love it. Long may it continue, sir. Long may it continue. Thank you. Well, look, we're going to finish, as always, with our quick-fire questions, so I'm going to throw these ones at you, okay? Um, one piece of advice do you give to your teenage self? Um, don't change anything that I've done so far. I think um, you know, it, it's been a slightly crooked route that I've travelled to get where I wanted to, but... Uh, every pathway I've taken, fantastic experiences. Well, experiences, most of them fantastic. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I don't think I would change anything. <clears throat> Who has inspired you in your career and why? Probably two people. Um, one is like some, some of your older listeners and viewers might remember a guy called Neville de Mores who worked at Business Link, which was then part of Sussex 
Enterprise, which of course is now Sussex Chamber. Mm. He was a business advisor and um, he worked with me and Sue for some years. Neville was fantastic, lovely, lovely guy. Great sound advice that he gave us. And the second person would be Nick Ascroft, who many people um, will have heard of. Um, tragically, he died um, Christmas Eve last year, so just mm. over a year ago. Um, he was he was my company chairman, and he he I think he had a, a a public face where a lot of people thought he was you know quite a quite a hard nosed person, um, real serious business person. I was fortunate enough to see the other side of him, and and as a quick uh, quick story is that we had many many years ago we had an unexpected tax bill of about ten thousand quid, and. Um, Without a second thought, Nick said, "Don't worry, don't worry about it. Um, I'll put I'll put ten thousand in your bank account, and um, you pay me back um, when the money's good." And he did that. Um, not a moment's hesitation. Um, chucked the ten k in my bank, paid the tax bill, and then within a month, um, everything has sorted itself out, and we paid him back. But it's mm. just things like that that. Um, uh, were amazing and when, when he first said he would be happy to come and give me some business advice I said I can't afford you he said I don't want your money he said I'll just come along we'll have a chat and we'll just see we see if there's some something between us that um, that you like and I like and uh, we'll take it from there and so wow. um, good guy great yeah. guy so sadly sadly missed yeah absolutely I, I did know of him and, and yeah he uh, echoed that so yeah what, what, what a great guy thank you for that well look can you recommend a book or podcast um, to our listeners that has had an impact on you or, or influenced you? I, I think I failed on that one, um, and and I I blame the fact that there were there were no books when I was growing up. Now that sounds awful. There <laughs> there was there was there was no interest in books when mm. I was growing up, and so um, since then. Um, if I ever think about reading a book in the evening, and I'm, I read non-fiction books now, mm. um, but I used to think that um, if I'm sitting here reading a book, um, I'm not working, and I'm lazy, and I should be getting out and doing things and getting new business in. Um, an appalling state of mind, I completely admit, <laughs> um, but because of that, I've just not really done books or yeah, podcasts, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I must, must change that. I must change that. Fair enough. I'm, I'm going to say that, actually, I don't read. I know you mentioned James earlier. I know he's a massive bookworm. Yes, isn't he? he reads gosh, a million yes. books a week or something. But yes. um, I've, I've never been a big reader. I'm, I'm, I maybe slow readers, and it just takes me. But um, for obvious reasons, I am a fan of the podcast. And it is, of they're, they're a great way. Just You go on that walk, Tim, chuck a podcast on. Ever, ever I've good got way my to. podcast app downloaded, <laughs> so uh, I'm ready to go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Look, final one. What is your one rule for living a fulfilled life? One rule, I think it's, um, I, I, I think, and I've said this to so many people, but I believe in it. Treat others like you would like to be treated. Um, I've seen bosses being very sharp and sometimes quite rude to the people that they work with. Mm. And there's just no need for it. You don't get more out of people from being like that. And I always think that... Um, Certainly for me, um, it's been about climbing a ladder, getting to know 
people perhaps at the top of the ladder and in my day Nick Ascroft was someone who was at the top of that ladder mm. and I wanted to climb up there and I wanted to smell the air up there and touch what was up there but always remembering that what goes up must come down mm. and that when you're on that slippery ladder coming down again um, anyone you've upset higher up could well get their own back so mm. you know be nice to everyone doesn't take much be nice to everyone treat people like you would like to be treated love that i absolutely love that and uh, what a brilliant way to finish I, and i listen i can't i could talk to you for hours Tim. i can't thank you enough for for coming on and, and sharing your journey with us and your story um and some amazing insights into running a, a, a pr agency over the last 28 years and 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 just sharing everything around around that and it's been um it's been a real honor to to get to know you over the years and I, for, on a personal note just very grateful for your support over the years like I say I've alluded to in the introduction uh, coming in and having a shave at <laughs> the Shave Academy and I was launching that and helping me with that and, and over the years with whatever ventures just, just, just being supportive and, and just everything like, like, as you alluded to doing things with integrity uh, as you are and, and being a, a, an amazing person so thank you so much for your time and it's been an absolute pleasure sir. brilliant I yeah. really enjoyed it and I think that, as they say, sir, is a wrap. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions.